The Falcons got some much-needed payback against the New Orleans Saints with a historic rushing day in Week 12. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, everyone, to another illustrious episode of the Locked on Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked on Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Just download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked on NFL for $20 off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. So, guys, if you don't know me, I'm your very humble host, Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcons.com, RIP. Still going strong on this illustrious podcast, and I appreciate all the everydayers that tune in each and every day to this show as their first listen or their first watch. And of course, you can follow in their footsteps by subscribing or following for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. So today's episode, we are recapping the Falcons week 12 win over the New Orleans Saints. We'll be talking later in the episode about Kyle Pitts being on a pitch count and why that's not as bad a thing as some people might assume. We'll talk about Desmond Ritter's improvement, looking at some of the PFF numbers. Uh, But we'll start off the conversation talking about this three-headed monster of a run game. I sort of touched upon this yesterday on the episode as one of the reasons why the Falcons were able to win and talked about how, you know, I wanted to look at their success rate and hadn't done so on the, by the time I recorded that rapid reaction. And I have done so since then, but you look at the Falcons run game and just looking exclusively at the running backs, uh, which we'll do throughout the rest of the episode where they handed the ball off 34 times, ran for 198 yards and averaged 5.8 yards per carry. And, you know, those numbers are incredibly good. And typically I don't like looking at yards per carry as a measure of rushing success or efficiency, because I think yards per carry tends to get skewed by longer runs or negative runs in the in worse ways. Um, but I do think in this instance, their yards per carry does reflect that the Falcons did get a bunch of long runs in this game, that they had 10 runs of 10 or more yards, eight of those coming from the running back position. Both of those figures are the most in the Arthur Smith era. And while I didn't look at every single season, I just went back and looked at select years like the heyday of Turner from like 08 to 2011, as well as those peak years early in the Dan Quinn era when it was Devontae and Tevin Coleman going strong from like 2015 and 2017. And I only found two other instances where the Falcons had eight or more 10 plus yard runs in a single game. And both of those came in 2008. The first one came in that week one blasting of the Detroit Lions at 0-16 Lions team. Um, you know, we always talk about Matt Ryan's first pass being a touchdown, but people forget the Falcons ran for 318 yards in that game, and they had 13 10-plus yard runs in that game, most of them coming from Michael Turner and some of them coming from Jarius Norwood. But you also saw a little bit of a three-headed monster later in that season against the Raiders where the Falcons ran for 256 yards and had eight uh, 10-plus play runs with Turner, Jarius Norwood, and Jason Snelling. Uh, so overall you know, to have that type of performance that we haven't really seen from the Falcons running game, at least based off of my superficial research in like 15 years, you know, would qualify as a sort of historic day for the Falcons. But getting back to the rushing efficiency, where we talk about, um, you know, their success rate, right, where uh, their success rate was 65% in this game. 
right? That's the highest success rate that they've had, the most efficient running game they've had all year long. It's the highest since the last time they played the Saints back in week 15 in 2022, where I think it was like 71 or 72% in that game. But this was a game from an efficiency standpoint where we've seen the Falcons rack up yards this season in various games. But this was a game that was very reminiscent of several games that they had, not only against the Saints, but previously in that 2022 season from an efficiency standpoint, where they had seven games last year where they had a, a success rate of 65% or higher last year. Right, That was one of the reasons why this running game was so dominant. Right, And of course, the question is, how and why did they become so dominant running against the Saints this week. Well, of course, you know, my Parker Hesse agenda is thriving, but I'm, I'm guessing from watching the game live, like I saw Hesse out there doing stuff, but, you know, I didn't come away watching the game live thinking that Hesse was truly the catalyst for their success. And I'm, I'm expecting when I turn on the film tomorrow that that won't be the case. It'll be him. It'll be Michael Pruitt, but you'll also see the offensive line blocking well. And I think that's probably going to be what is the catalyst that, you know, We've talked before on this podcast all throughout the season that why is the Falcons offensive line or why is the Falcons run game taking a step back this year? And it is owed to their offensive line taking a step back. And I've heard this lazy narrative throughout the season of like, oh, defenses are keying on the Falcons run game and that's why they can't run the football. And it's like that's the dumbest take I've ever heard because it's it's as if teams weren't keying on the Falcons running game last year. Like teams were like, oh, my God, the Falcons are running the football. We didn't even know, you know, like teams were able were keying on the run game last year, but it didn't matter because the Falcons. Falcons were going out there and still able to run the ball down team's throat because running the football is an execution-based exercise, right? It's about grit. It's about determination, toughness, blood, sweat, tears, grass stains, all that stuff that we marvel about football being, you know, for 70 out of the last 100 years or whatever it is, you know, that's what the run game is. And the Falcons haven't been able to execute that. And so, you know, I loved seeing them do it against the Saints because it's kind of basically payback for, you know, the better part of, you know, the last decade and especially like the last four or five years prior to Arthur Smith's arrival where that defensive line, that Saints defensive line, just embarrassed our offensive line every single week, getting six, seven, eight sacks seemingly every time we played them. And so you love to see Arthur Smith going out there and punching this Saints team in the mouth as payback and have done so in, in the last three games and, and hopefully will do so a fourth time in week 18 um, moving forward. So love to see it. And of course, as I've discussed many times, like I think this raises the floor for the Falcons offense moving forward. If they can run the ball effectively in the ways that they did on Sunday, that is going to be a positive outcome for this run game the rest of the season, right? It was the whole promise of this season where part of the reason why we weren't that worried about the quarterback position with Desmond Ritter and, 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 and company going into the season because we had this you know, expectation that they could run the football effectively, maybe not as effectively, but pretty effectively similar to this every single week, like they did last year for most games. And even if Ritter wasn't the guy, it was like, well, we can just plug and get someone who's competent and that's a playoff team. And if we get someone who's actually good at the quarterback position with this relatively high floor that the run game gives us, now all of a sudden, maybe we're actually a team that can get out of the first round of the playoffs and be a legit contender, all that stuff and more. So, you know, quarterback conversation will get punted to a future date. But the hope is that we can continue to see more of this run game moving forward for the Falcons. And we saw it against the Saints, but you got to do it again, right? And it's going to be a challenge next week against the Jets, right? We talked with Charles McDonald last week of Yahoo Sports about wanting to see Matthew Bergeron stack games. Well, guess what? Matthew Bergeron had his highest graded game, according to PFF, of his career against the Saints, right? 
And I'm looking forward to watching the film of him, you know, actually being an impact run blocker for basically the first time this season. But just because you did it once, you got to do it again. Because next week, you got to do it again against Quinn and Williams, who is PFF's highest graded run defender in the entire league this year among interior defensive linemen. So, you know, build off of your best game, Matthew Bergeron, and you're going to be going up against the best. And that's going to be a challenge for this team. And then it's going to be a challenge the following week against the Bucs, who, while the Falcons did run for, what, 150-something yards the last time they played the Bucs back in week seven, um, but they weren't particularly efficient running the football. They had a success rate that week of 41%. They ran the ball effectively because they were committed to running, not because they were particularly good at it. But of course we know they didn't have Bijan Robinson that week, right? And so you only got the two-headed monster, not the three heads of the Hydra or whatever. I guess Hydra is technically five heads. But anyway, um, that three-headed monster uh, is Cerberus, right? Correct me on my Greek mythology, right? The three-headed dog uh, in, in Tartarus uh, is Cerberus, right? So that's what the Falcons are hoping to have come the Bucks, but that is going to be their challenge in the coming weeks. And if they can answer that challenge and respond to that challenge, it raises the floor for this offense. Later in the episode, we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, how that impacts the play action passing game. But, you know, we want to see more of this running game and the success on offense. People also want to see more of Kyle Pitts, but Pitts is seemingly on the pitch count. But we're going to break down as we continue today's episode why that isn't necessarily as bad a thing as you think. And in fact, less snaps that Pickett gets seemingly the better he plays we'll break it down but first let's break down game time the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports music and theater and comedy near you they got killer last minute deals all in prices views from your seat their best price guaranteed it's taking the guesswork out of buying tickets you want to view from your seat you can see it before you buy so you know exactly what to expect they're all in prices mean that you're not going to get slapped with hidden fees you can buy tickets right up to the start of the event and their game time guarantee always gets you the best price. If you find tickets in the same section or row for less, right? They'll credit you 110% the difference. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time by downloading the game time app, create an account and use code locked on NFL for a $20 off your first purchase. That terms apply again, create an account, redeem code locked on NFL for $20 off download game time today, last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. So let's talk about Kyle Pitts usage because I saw some people reacting to Pitts snap counts on Monday morning on Twitter and elsewhere. Um, you know, for those of you that don't know, Pitts played about 31, 31 snaps against the Saints, about 50% of the plays. And I think at first glance, a lot of people were like, what's up with that? What does that mean? And why isn't Pitt getting more snaps? And, you know, this isn't me necessarily calling out individuals. I've joked before in the past, but it's true. Like when one person says a thing, I go like, oh, that's weird that one person has that one random opinion. And then when two people say it, I'm like, oh, that's even weirder that two people have this one random opinion. But then when I see a third person say a thing, I'm like, oh, now this is a thing. Right. And I have to don the cape and be the narrative buster, uh, which is my superhero uh, alter ego. But, you know, I think the simple explanation for why Pitts' snaps were relatively low was the Falcons' game plan was committed to running the football. And we saw Kyle Pitts, especially against the Vikings and Cardinals in recent weeks, struggle as a blocker in, in a game where the Falcons are running the ball on 65% of their offensive plays, you know, reducing the workload of a guy that too often in recent weeks has been a liability as a run blocker totally makes sense. Now, what's also notable is you look at the PFF data. Pitts only spent three snaps in line as a blocker in this game. That's the lowest number of inline snaps he's had, he's had in any game of his career. So 
roughly over 90% of his snaps against the Saints came as a quote-unquote wide receiver, whether he was lined up in the slot or out wide. And again, that makes sense given you don't necessarily want to put Pitts in line, even if he's spending about half of his snaps run blocking, going up against Cam Jordan and other Saints defensive linemen. That's not necessarily a good strategy. So I don't think there's much to read into Pitts' little snap counts other than that, but I started doing some digging, right? And, you know, I think the question is, okay, well, if, you know, the run game is is one thing, Aaron, but still Pitts should be getting more opportunities as a pass catcher. He's getting barely more opportunities as a pass catcher than Kadero Hodge and Scotty Miller and some of these other guys in this game. And, and that shouldn't be the case. So, you know, again, according to PFF, 16 of Pitts' 31 snaps, he was asked to run a route. So uh, you look at the 24 times the Falcons had an opportunity to throw it the football, right? 24 pass plays where he could have ran a route. That basically means that Pitts ran a route on 67% of their pass plays. And we'll call that the opportunity rate, right? The percentage of pass plays where he got an opportunity to run a route. So theoretically, he could have gotten the opportunity to get the ball in those situations. And that 67% opportunity rate is right in line with what he has been the last two months. But we'll circle back to that point later. And you look at that 67% opportunity rate and you compare it to other elite tight ends like Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, right? This past week, both of those guys had an opportunity rate in week 12 of 82%. And if you look at Kittle's, I didn't go back through all their games, but a lot of games, Kittle's number is even higher than that. It's closer to 90%, if not higher. Kelsey's usually is about that 80 to 85% range. So you look at that and you say, okay, well, Pitts is getting less opportunities than other elite um, pass catchers. But at the same time, like if Pitts had had an 82% opportunity rate in this specific game against the Saints, that results in about three and a half more snaps a game. So it's not a huge difference, but in a game where the Falcons potentially, as we've seen at times, throw the ball 40, 45, 50 times a game, that opportunity rate, that difference between 82 and 67% would result in a much larger number of potential opportunities. But, right, it started doing some digging. And I looked at Pitts's opportunity rate throughout the rest of the season prior to this past week. And early in the season, he had a comparable opportunity rate to what Kelsey and Kittle get, right? That if you look at, you know, the first four games, every single game, Pitts had an opportunity rate over 80%. His combined opportunity rate through those four games was 87%. So roughly on par with what you would typically see from Kelsey or Kittle, right? And what stands out about that four-game span, those first four games of the season, is that also coincided with the four-game span where everybody was constantly complaining about why isn't Kyle Pitts getting the football? And then starting in week five, the Falcons lowered his opportunity rate to under 70%, right? And it's remained there pretty much every every game since, other than I think the Washington game where it was like 76% or something, right? And you look at his combined opportunity rate over the last seven games, it's 66%. So right in line with what he was in the Saints game. But what stands out is that Houston game where he had a basically started being on a pitch count, relatively speaking, to what he was early in the season, you started to see Kit Pitts' production get a boost, right? Now, you look at targets, right? First four games versus the last seven games. Targets, not a whole lot of difference. 5.3 targets per game in the first four weeks versus 5.6 over the last seven weeks. But given that he's getting a lower number of snaps, he's actually being targeted more per snap over the last seven games than he was in the first four games. So if you just look at it, the number of snaps, you know, the number of snaps where he ran a route and he was actually targeted, he was only targeted on about 16% of his opportunities in the first four games 
and it's increased to 22% over the last seven. Then you also look at he's doing more with those targets by catching a higher percentage of them since being on the pitch count. First four games, a catch rate of 52%. The last seven, it's 67%, which is much higher than his rookie year catch rate, which was 62%. And then he's also getting more yards per catch than he was earlier in the season. First four games, that was 11 yards per reception. The last seven games, 12.3 yards per reception. So if you're not following, basically what I'm telling you is the Falcons have put Kyle Pitts on a quote-unquote pitch count by lowering his opportunity rate from 87% down to 67%. Or 66%, I'm sorry, right? And it's led to him being more productive as an individual. It also marks the period of time that we've been talking about this offense taking a step forward since the Houston game, right? Where we've seen an uptick in Ritter's performance as well as this offense. And I don't think those two things are a coincidence, right? That we already know that the Ritter-London connection is very strong. And the Ritter-Pitts connection has been slowly building over the last seven weeks. Right. And, you know, I think the reason why that manifests in the offense being better is because if you're better able to incorporate your top two pass catches on a semi consistent basis, I won't say on a consistent basis, but on a semi consistent basis, it's not hard to imagine that that's going to benefit your offense overall. So, you know, someone in, in the Lockdown Falcons Discord, if you want to join, uh, hit the link in the description below. But someone asked me, why do I think this is? Is it because? It's a conditioning issue. Now, again, that would be an easy conclusion to make, right? That it's the knee issue, it's the conditioning issue, right? Maybe it is. But I think Pitts has been more explosive the last three or so games than he has been, but yet his quote-unquote pitch count, his opportunity rate has remained the same. But maybe, you know, he was able to recover a little bit quicker because he was getting a few less snaps per game than he was in the first month of the season. But ultimately, it's not a huge number of snaps that we're talking about that that different opportunity rate it averages out over the last seven games about eight snaps per game that if he was getting an opportunity rate like he was in the first four games over the last seven games he'd be missing on average about 56 snaps total about eight per game right compared to the first four weeks of the season so it's not a huge number right it's it's like a one snap of rest like you know or two snaps of rest like every third series or something like that whatever the numbers work out to be um so you know, another factor could be, you know, Pitts being on a pitch count may benefit Arthur Smith when it comes to his play calling. If we're continuing the baseball analogy, it's the idea of he's on a pitch count, right? And so now when he's actually pitching, you can throw more fastballs. If you follow what I'm saying, like Arthur Smith can scheme. It's easier for Arthur Smith to scheme up ways to get him the ball if he's not, you know, if he knows he has a better handle on when he's out there on the field or whatever. Again, I don't really know the answer. Frankly, I don't really care what the reason and the mechanism, the reasoning behind Pitts being on the pitch count. I just think it's working and it goes back to something we talked about last Friday on the Black Friday Q&A mailbag episode um, where we talked about, I think some of the Pitts usage stuff is overblown. You know, I think the only real issue with Pitts and his usage is, or Pitts and his production is really the red zone stuff. And, you know, for all we know, you know, he could catch four touchdowns over the next six games, and that will be a non-issue, at least, you know, for the next six games to go back to being another issue next week, next year when, you know, the fantasy football community is sitting here, you know, doing doing the thing, doing what they do. But uh, we'll, we'll just sort of have to see how that all goes, guys. But we'll we'll talk more about, you know, Ritter's numbers when it comes to how the PFF numbers, uh, you know, impact our perception of Ritter's performance, and we'll break all that down, guys, to wrap up today's Locked on Falcons.
So the weather is getting colder, but the NFL offers over at FanDuel are staying hot. Of course, FanDuel is America's number one sports book. And right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with a winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins and you guys can, we've been saying for weeks, hey, you don't have to bet on the Atlanta Falcons because FanDuel doesn't know that they're your team, but maybe you feel a little bit better about betting on the Atlanta Falcons. You know, now that they've coming off of this exhilarating win against their hated rivals and whether it's money line, which are straight up bets or the spread player props over unders FanDuel has it all. If you want to bet the spread for this upcoming Jets game, minus three, the Falcons are favored by three points uh, on the road against the Jets and the Tim Boyle led Jets. You know, I'm, I'm feeling frisky about taking the under. 34 and a half points, right? I'm leaning towards the under on this being a low scoring affair. So whether you agree with me or disagree with me, go to fanduel.com slash locked on and you can get started with America's number one sports book. FanDuel is an official partner of the NFL. So we're going to wrap up today's episode talking about a couple of interesting stats I saw at PFF, you know, when we don't have a guest on these Monday episodes or Tuesday episodes, I guess, uh, when most of you guys are, are checking this out. Monday evening on YouTube, um, you know, tend to see some PFF numbers and if certain things jump out. Uh, and, and so, you know, something jumped out to me and I know a lot of people are still skeptical of Ritter understandably, right. You know, they, they're just focused on the turnovers and I, again, I can get it right. Those turnovers were problematic. They remain problematic and we're just hoping that eventually they will stop. Right. Like, you know, um, it's one of those things that eventually, like, you know, Turnovers are so, I don't want to say luck, but as far as we concern, as, as far as we understand it, turnovers are relatively random, right? You know, and, and so randomness is essentially luck based um, in, in that regard. And, and so you just kind of hope that eventually it, the, the luck will turn in your favor when it comes to Desmond Ritter. But I, I did think there was two stats that kind of stood out to me looking at the PFF numbers. And it goes back to something that we've talked about with Desmond Ritter going back a week ago when we did our sort of bi-week breakdown. And we talked about how Ritter has not been as effective against pressure this year as he was the previous year when he was PFF's highest graded quarterback under pressure for those four starts that he had last year. And then you look at this week against the Saints, he was the third least pressured quarterback in the NFL this past week in week 12, at least, you know, minus the Monday night game, right? Um and he earned the fourth highest grade under pressure, passing grade under pressure uh, this past week. So we saw more of that. And we saw that with Desmond Ritter being able to create with his legs, watching uh, the film, um, but also making some throws like that, you know, dime he threw to Bijan Robinson for the touchdown with pressure in his face. So that was more like the Desmond Ritter that we saw sporadically last year. And hopefully we'll get more of that. And that's, again, another sign that Ritter is showing improvement. And that's why not to sit here and ignore the turnovers, but it's like, you know, those are things like you. Being able to handle pressure is not something that is like random is basically what I'm trying to say. Like the turnovers are more random. Like that's something that can just turn off one day. And like you not being good under pressure is not something that I think you can just flip a switch and turn off. Right. So that's something to look forward to focusing on the positive. The other thing that stood out to me was looking at the play action passing. 46% of Desmond Ritter's dropbacks in this game were play action passing, which is very similar to the play action passing rate that we saw under Marcus Mariota last year, which was 44%, which was the highest in the NFL during the regular season last season. And it resulted 
And the Falcons were rewarded, I guess you could say, with a very productive play action passing game this past week, according to PFF, with Ritter averaging 11.5 yards per attempt on play action passes, which was the sixth highest in the the NFL among uh, week 12 starters. And he had an 87 passing grade, which was the fifth highest on play action passing right this past weekend. And you compare that to what his what the numbers were for his first nine starts or whatever, and his play action passing rate was only 27th, or it was only 27%, which was still like top five. It was like the fifth highest among starters, but far below what we saw this past Sunday, right? And he was averaging about 7.9 yards per attempt, which was um, 23rd during that span leading up to this week. Uh, And then was his passer rating was, or his passer grade according to PFF with play action was 62, which was 28th. So that was one of the things that we were not getting the same success with the play action passing game with Desmond Ritter during the first half of the season as we were getting with Marcus Mariota last year. And that was even true in the latter half of the season where the play action passing game wasn't this super productive thing in those final four starts this year. So hopefully we'll get more of this because again, that was the one thing that you would sit there and say that Mariota was much more comfortable doing, which was being able to generate some of these plays off of play action. And so I look forward to watching the film tomorrow to see sort of if the Falcons were doing some schematic things differently that led to their success with the play action passing against the Saints, or was it just a classic example of the old tried and true, hey, if you can run the ball successfully, it's going to open up the passing game a lot more. And we know that league-wide data suggests that rushing success and play action passing doesn't correlate as strongly as a lot of people tend to assume it does or or believe it does. You know, it's the notion that um, you need to establish the run in order to open up the play action passing game. And there's a lot of data that tells you that you don't need to establish a run really at all. And it's, you know, Falcon fans should know this because Matt Ryan was a very efficient and effective play action passing quarterback for many years, despite playing in an offense that couldn't run the football effectively. Um, you know, but maybe we'll see, we'll see what, you know, what conclusions I may have on the film tomorrow. You know, maybe Arthur Smith is, is a little different, right? Maybe Arthur Smith is a little bit more quote unquote basic, uh, when it comes to that stuff. And his offense does, seem to correlate better with the play action passing again that's maybe one of the reasons why you know the run game was so efficient under Mariota and it led to you know the play action passing success and it was a little less efficient under Ritter although you know with that Saints game they were dominant in that game but last year I'm talking about 2022 but you know maybe those two things are much more related in the Arthur Smith offense than they are for league wide maybe his offense is bucking league wide trends so that will be something I'll be eagerly looking at when I watch the film tomorrow but if you are looking to get those insights of course continue to make lockdown falcons your first listen tomorrow and of course if you want to get access to the extended all 22 review where we may be talking about offensive line play or play action passing plays or whatever again we'll see what the film says and we'll see what i come up with where i usually look at you know anywhere between 10 and 30 plays uh in high definition hd uh video um you know on those extended all 22 reviews and you can get access to that by becoming a locked on falcons insider Hit the link in the description below at joinsubtext.com slash locked on Falcons. And not only do you get access, exclusive access, access to that extended all 22 review, you can also, you know, 
vent to me on Sundays, just like I vent to you guys on Sundays about the Falcons and you get other added insights as well throughout the week. Um, you know, that back and forth and you can provide me feedback. You can ask questions, all that various stuff. Like someone asked me, you know, earlier today, you know, should the, the Parker Hesse agenda be thriving as much as it should, should, you know, should we care about, you know, the fact that, you know, this offense seems so reliant on Parker Hesse's presence in order to work. And, you know, I'm not going to share with you my answer. That's an exclusive to the Locked on Falcons Insider. But those types of insights are the things that you can gain by joining that link in the description below. So that is what's on the table for tomorrow. We'll continue here, guys, here on Locked on Falcons. And, of course, I should plug the Locked on Sports at Today uh, 24-7 streaming channel. Locked On is an innovator and an icon by starting the first ever 24-7 streaming channel. Locked On Sports Today has got you covered with all the leagues, you know, all the national shows and all that stuff. But you also are covered locally, guys, because Locked On Sports Atlanta also has a 24 streaming, uh, 24-7, I'm sorry, streaming uh, channel. <laughs> just 24-1, 24-1, no, 24-7 streaming channel. Just search Locked On Sports Atlanta and you can check that out guys so that is going to do it for us continue to make us your first listen it's all part of locked on podcast network your team every day